From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest LPL Market Signals. Jeff Bookbinder here, your host for this week with my friend and colleague, Dr. Jeffrey Roach. How are you today, sir? Doing very well. It's always nice to have the Jeff and Jeff show for this edition. Absolutely love it. So, uh, you know, even though it's pretty cold outside here in Boston, uh, I am um, feeling pretty good today. I think we're going to bring you a good show. Got a lot of good stuff to talk about. Um, certainly coming off of a good week in the markets, which helps our mood. Uh, so uh, after we look at these disclosures, here is our agenda. Uh, so, you know, rally continued last week. Uh, nice gain for stocks, but just wanted to highlight that it was a little bit narrow. Uh, next, we'll talk technicals. Our weekly market commentary this week is a technical check-in, I guess you could say, uh, where we'll look at the S&P and at the 10-year yield. Uh, next, uh, and this will be uh, your section, Jeff, uh, we're going to talk about some emerging cracks in the economy, not trying to be uh, scary or anything like that. The point of this is just something to watch out for that shows maybe this economy uh, is poised to slow down. Uh, and then finally, the week ahead, it's actually a pretty fun week to preview, Jeff, because we have um, CPI, which is big, of course, uh, with all the attention on inflation. We also have retail sales, which is an important report as we get closer to holiday season. Uh, earnings, a whole bunch to talk about uh, as we preview the week ahead. Biden-Xi meeting, uh, there'll be a lot there. So let's get to it. I'll do this recap maybe a little faster than I normally do um, to leave more time for, for the meat here. But the um, you know, the market was up about a percent and a half last week on the S&P, so a solid week, of course, led by mega cap tech. So you see here on the sector side, the um, uh, tech sector was up almost 5%. You see consumer discretionary um, up a percent. You see um, that's where, of course, Amazon and Tesla are housed. You see comm services up over 2%. That's where Alphabet and Meta are. So um, that's Megatap. That's really the story. Uh, you know, a lot of people ask, can that group continue to rally? And frankly, with the earnings strength that we've seen and the improvement in the macro environment, I'm talking about cooling inflation and, and evidence of stability in interest rates. Uh, and, um, you know, the fact that we're in this favorable seasonal period right now, it really just started over the last week or so. Uh, we actually think the big cap techs can uh, finish the year strong. We, we see more upside. Uh, the flip side of the mega cap techs is the small caps, right? So the Russell 2000 small cap index was only uh, was a, a big laggard last week, uh, down a little over 3%. The NASDAQ uh, was a big winner, up, up 2.5%. Of course, that's from the mega cap tech names. Um, small caps continue to struggle. This isn't a news story. They're actually down... 12 of the last 15 weeks. So um, market clearly um, favoring the big guys with the strong balance sheets. Uh, the international markets couldn't keep up with the strength of mega cap tech. So you saw some lagging there. Strong dollar uh, was certainly a part of that. But late last week, we did see um, uh, a little bit of a bounce in Japan. So um, moving on, the bond market sold off a little bit. Rates did back up a bit. The 30-year bond auction was a little bit of a disappointment, the Treasury auction. And um, you did hear Powell talk tough on inflation. So um, 
you know, a little bit of a negative week in in the bond market, but not not too much. So yields are in the 465 to 470 range uh, on the uh, on the 10 year uh, as we're recording this Monday, November 13th, uh, 2023 in the afternoon. The uh, commodity markets were were weak. There's probably a little bit of China concern in here, but um, you know, energy is the is the biggest laggard in the commodity space lately. You had oil down um, about four percent last week, and uh, dragging the energy sector with it. That continues to be an area of weakness. We think it'll find its footing soon, uh, but um, you know, the supply demand situation in oil has been a little bit bearish. You know, too much production, too much supply. And we haven't seen the Middle East situation spill over uh, to the point where it would impact Iranian production. So oil, uh, you know, trying to get back above 80. Uh, we think there's some upside there, um, but we are in a little bit of a seasonally weak period. So uh, let's move on to technicals and then we'll get into uh, the economic situation. Uh, so starting with the 10-year yield, I mean, you could argue the 10-year matters more than the S&P here. Uh, we have... Um, you know, pull back from 5%, as I mentioned, into the 465 to 470 range. We're watching 435. If we can get to 435 on the 10-year, that would break the uptrend and potentially bring lower yields into play. Now, that's just a technical uh, perspective. You certainly have uh, the fundamentals at work here, too. But we do think inflation will come down. Uh, continue to come down. We'll see more evidence of that. Yeah, and uh, Jeff, I just wanted to jump in here for a quick uh, promo. You know, we talk about the weekly market commentary, which you did, Jeff, in the outset during our agenda. Just to remind the listeners that is uh, on our LPL.com website. And so you can get a little bit more uh, into the weeds on where these charts are sourced. So LPL.com uh, under the newsroom is where we have our weekly market commentary. Yes, thank you for that, Jeff. So this these charts are from that. Uh, section of our website. This is uh, this was put together by Adam Turnquist, our chief market technician, and um, you know he certainly is uh, very adept at identifying these uh, support and resistance levels, identifying these trends. So 435 is the number to watch on the 10-year yield. 4400 is the number to watch on the S&P 500. We're right around that number today as we're recording this. Uh, did break above it Friday, but we really want to see that level hold for a period of time to break the downtrend uh, in the uh, S&P 500, which is really the mirror image of the uptrend that we've seen in the 10-year yield. Uh, here's where I said that this has been a narrow rally. The um, you know, We've had these two straight really strong weeks for stocks. But if you look at the percentage of stocks in the S&P 500 that are above their 200-day moving averages, that's how we identify uptrends. It's actually quite low now. Uh, last week, it dropped from 44% to 42%. And as you'll see here on this next slide, uh, when you're in the 40s or lower on that metric, forward returns tend to be weak. So, of course, this doesn't hold every time. But if we stay in the 40s, that is at risk or go lower. That is... Uh, increasing the risk that this market uh, is down over the next uh, several months or maybe even as long as 12 months out. That's this um, quintile five. If you break the breadth 
uh, into these five quintiles. And you see the performance is best when you see really strong breadth readings. So this is a real key ingredient for the market to finish the year strong. We need more breadth, right? Small caps aren't working. Uh, if we can get better performance there, better performance down the market cap spectrum beyond uh, mega caps, we think this market will be in a much better position uh, to make a next uh, its next move higher. So uh, really interesting analysis there. Um, we did break an eight-day winning streak last week. Uh, the good news here is that after you end an eight-day win streak, subsequent returns have historically been very strong. So here you see 9.1% average gain 12 months after the end of an eight-day win streak in the S&P 500, which happened last Thursday. So, um, you know, this is, you know, certainly you don't want to base an, uh, an equity market view on this alone, but this is just one of a number of studies uh, building historical evidence that this market can go higher over the next year. You'll see that in our 2024 outlook. Uh, we do think this market will go higher uh, in, uh, in in 2024. So um, now I'm going to head over to you, Jeff, to talk economy, moving right along. Um, hopefully we're not scaring folks by saying cracks are emerging. I mean, we just came off of a really strong quarter for GDP, right, in Q3. Mm -hmm. And it looks like we're going to have more economic growth in Q4. So, um, you know, economy hanging in there pretty well now. But why don't we tell uh, our listeners what we should be watching here? Yeah, I think in in the same way that we look at the technicals, uh, trying to get a, a good view on where we are, what what the base case should be, where the risks are, either to the upside or the downside. I think in the macro um, space, you know, you want to do the same thing. Anybody looking at markets, you want to say, okay, what are what are some leading indicators? And and the big question before we show the chart, Jeff, the big question really should be in in people's minds. Can the very, very strong growth rate that we had in the third quarter be sustained going into the fourth quarter? Or are we at this late cycle uh, idea where, you know, the, we can't keep growing that much above long term trend? And so I think one of the one of the important factors to look at is how leveraged uh, consumers are. Uh, where are they tapping to be able to keep consumption high? Uh, and that was really the driver in the third quarter. Uh, but really, even right out of the gates in January of this year, uh, consumers were were spending very, very strong. So go to the next slide and and we'll see where the potential cracks are. And again, this is, again, one of those things where we say, all right, uh, this is not necessarily a recession indicator, but it's a leading indicator that provides evidence uh, about the sustainability of growth. And so, you know, you look at this, this is basically uh, serious delinquencies, which means uh, people that are past uh, the 90 day mark uh, for credit card payments, that's the dark blue line, and auto loans on the orange line. Granted, you know, it's it's obvious you can see a lot more volatility in the credit card space, which, which makes sense. Uh, and, you know, certainly smaller balances um, than what you're looking at from uh, your, your car loans. And so both of those metrics in terms of the balances that they're carried forward are, are reaching highs relative to where we were pre-pandemic. Uh, so Jeff, you, you think about the economy in 2019, uh, 2018, right? We had some trade wars. We had a lot of debate, particularly in, in DC 
um, a lot of political banter. And we were really kind of near a late cycle of this long uh, moderation, right? So if you know you look at this graph and you say, okay, look at the gap in time between the two gray columns. That's just basically telling you, you know, we had a recession, the great financial crisis, we call it, uh, in the 08 timeframe. And we had several years of solid growth, no recession. Uh, it was quite historic, the length of time between uh, the two recessions. Now, granted, COVID was an unusual type of recession, but we were slowing down before COVID as an economy. Consumers were slowing down. And so I think that's a really key point to think about uh, where additional pressures might be. And then another key takeaway from this chart is to say, okay, we know that the percent of unpaid balances is higher on those two loans. You could think, you know, we're behind behind those payments, not keeping up to speed. And you want to think, well, what's going to be the penalty? It's clearly, the penalties are going to be a, a little bit higher than they were, say, in previous eras, just because interest rates are much higher. Um, interest rates on credit cards, uh, near all-time highs, and then, of course, uh, interest rates uh, across the board. So let's go to that next um, slide, Jeff, because in, in the context of interest, as it impacts the uh, the average household, this is something that I th thought was helpful to think about. You say, okay, on the surface, you say, all right, well, non-mortgage interest rate payments as a percent of wage and salaries is not as high as we saw, you know, going back to 05, uh, going back to the 90s. But I think what what really, I guess, impacts the household the most, this is kind of a behavioral finance kind of concept, is it's the speed at which things change. Uh, Jeff, you and I, we, we talk about this sometime in our uh, in our asset allocation committee meetings, you know, it's that that additional derivative. So it's the rate of change, and then it's the acceleration or deceleration of that rate of change. So, and, and we don't do well, we as, as humans, uh, with quick changes. Uh, and that is, I think, the way you want to think about this chart right here. Uh, so as a larger chunk is going toward interest payments, and the change in which it's going toward interest rates has never been faster. You know the, that that steep line there has never been that that steep uh, ever. And so, you know, again, I think to follow up, Jeff, on what you were saying, uh, cracks emerging is that overly bearish? Not necessarily. I wouldn't say it's bearish, but it's definitely uh, a, a yellow flag for caution. Uh, this is something we're watching because we want to make sure that we're looking at leading indicators and not uh, uh, catch ourselves flat-footed uh, as the economy uh, turns from 2023 to 2024. Yeah, I mean, I guess the good news is that consumers have continued to spend, but as interest costs eat up a larger proportion of their incomes, uh, they're not going to be able to spend at the same clip, right? That makes perfect sense. But we handled it pretty well in you know the middle of the last couple cycles here. I mean, you can see in the 90s and the 2000s, uh, we were up here or even higher. So um, you know that's maybe the the bullish take on this is this economy's done fine at higher interest rate cost levels, right? I mean, heck, you could even go back to uh, you know the late 80s, early 90s, right? Certainly, we had a recession around then, but 
you know, generally speaking, uh, the economy, you know, continued to, you know, chug along from what, 82 to 90. <laughs> so, right. uh, you know, higher uh, interest cost levels, higher interest rate levels, even though rates came down. So, so this this should be manageable, but but I understand what you're saying, Jeff. It's a shock to the system when you're used to zero, and then you go to five percent, you know, seemingly overnight. Uh, when I think too, it's it's one of those things to say, well, what causes us to be a little more sore or tentative when there's another shock, you know, outside of this, right? So you you go back several decades. You're just referencing, you know, long term capital management, uh, clearly a shock. Um, you know, the tech bubble, a shock, uh, the 01 uh, attacks, a shock. So it's it's one of those things to say, okay, where, where are we maybe kind of, you know, getting a little bit teetery? Uh, and then, you know, that, I guess, uh, provides a little bit more of a greater warning. Um, you know, if, if trade, for example, this is hot off the press, Jeff, we haven't talked much about this yet, but in terms of, uh, you know, the news about, water levels in the Panama Canal being low, right? So that's going to uh, affect trade. Uh, we don't know to the extent it'll truly, you know, ripple through and uh, affect the consumer, but things of that nature. Um, granted, it's hard to forecast shocks, right? Who who would have ever forecasted COVID, for example, right? Uh, but uh, it certainly uh, puts us maybe in a little bit more of a, a tentative position. Yeah, absolutely. So um, good discussion there. Uh, let's continue the economic discussion, Jeff, and talk about all the data that we have this week. So I, um, you know, highlight what I think is is important on this economic calendar every week here. And I have a lot of yellow. <laughs> so, um, I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious that the CPI um, matters. It's pretty obvious that retail sales matters. That's a a big piece of the economy. I think probably something like 15% of the economy. Jeff, you can correct me if that's way off, but um, I think it's something like that. Um, but housing really matters these days because you've got interest rate sensitivity, as we know, with high mortgage rates. Um, so I've highlighted some housing data and jobless claims really matters, right? We're watching the job market closely. That number's ticked up. Uh, you know, some people watch that as an indicator of recession. If it you know, if it moves by a certain amount, uh, you know, somewhere around 50 to 75,000 claims off the lows, you tend to get a recession. So uh, we'll watch that one closely, too. I highlighted that. Um, I guess that covers it. Oh, and small businesses. Small businesses matter. Uh, so we watched the NFIB small business survey. So uh, got any calls on any of this data? What what should people be paying close attention to, Jeff? Well, I, you know, I think one major takeaway from the slide here, and uh, yes, you a lot of things highlighted. Uh, I guess you could argue that you could even have more highlighted, right? Import prices, uh, maybe not anymore, but when we were very concerned about supply chains, impact on consumer prices, import prices could also have been highlighted. I think the key takeaway here is this is going to be a first look in this first month of the fourth quarter. So you can see in that column, most of this is for October. Uh, and so that's, I think that's why markets are gonna be focused on some of these reports. We're gonna uh, get a decent look. Uh, to your point about retail sales, this is not the most comprehensive 
metric on the consumer. Uh, we have to wait a little bit later in the month. I uh, have to give uh, government data collectors a little bit more time uh, because uh, the retail sales uh, report is heavily focused on goods. It does have restaurants as services, but you know most of our economy is a service-based economy. And so that's why you could say, oh, retail sales certainly gives us a good first look, particularly in some of those cyclical components like auto sales. Um, and that's and that's something that's going to be worth uh, focusing on. <clears throat> and then, of course, on Tuesday, the 14th, we're recording this, by the way, on Monday, the 13th. And, uh, you know, tomorrow we're going to have that inflation metric. And I, I think the reason why markets will be focused there, of course, is uh, that we're going to see a, a pretty decent moderation in the headline month to month number uh, on the back of declining energy prices. So that's certainly going to be, a, I guess you could say, a, one of the positive things that we can look at for this coming week. Yeah, certainly core is more closely watched by markets and by the Fed. But core, you know, some of those lower energy prices sometimes seep through to other areas of the economy. Maybe not quickly enough to show up in the same month, but um you know, I don't know if you've studied that, Jeff, but it, it seems to me like when you have good good news on the on the headline, you usually don't get bad news on the core. Well, you're it, it that's it, it pays to go into the details, you know, and that's and that's kind of the key point of why we're here at LPL Research to uh, dig down into the details. Uh, it's going to be, you know, uh, services. It's going to be clearly rents. Uh, that's been a, one of those categories we're waiting for that to show up in the official metrics. Uh, but you're right. It's it's very important to dissect these numbers, uh, whether it's your just the headline or the core, uh, which by the way, uh, core for our non-financial listeners, uh, that is excluding food and energy. Ah, and I see it right there. You have it uh, typed out. So good, good call yes. out there, Jeff. The, the, thank you, Bloomberg. So, uh, you know, we're looking for 0.3% month over month on core. I, li I like that expectation coming in because, you know, if you get 0.24, you're going to round it to two and the market could rally on that, right? We We really want to string together some 0.2s and some 0.25s to get where we we and where the Fed wants us to be. Uh, you know, if you string together a bunch of 0.3s and you end up at, you know, close to four for your annualized number, that is not so comfortable uh, for the Fed. So that that one we'll, we'll be watching um, very closely. I, I, I haven't looked at the Atlanta Fed GDP tracker, but I, I last I looked, at least middle of last week, I think it was already down under two. So um makes sense that we wouldn't expect another booming 5% GDP uh, number in Q4. But certainly if we get a booming retail sales number, uh, we'll be, um, you know, kind of in a position to put up a better number than maybe people think. And you really don't have to start thinking about recession until you probably get into, you know, a couple quarters into next year. That's right. Uh, at least. So um, I guess the other thing we got this week uh, is, uh, well, we got a couple of things. Earnings. Right, I think it's just a dozen S and P five hundred companies, but some big retail names: Walmart, Target, uh, I believe Costco, Macy's, TJX, um, Gap. Uh, there's a Home Depot. So um, we're going to get a sense for how the consumer is shaping up here uh, pretty quickly. So that will be interesting as well, especially as you get closer to the holiday shopping season. Uh, some people would claim that we're already in the holiday 
shopping season as we prepare for Thanksgiving or we, you know, buy half price candy at our local drugstore after Halloween. But, um, you know, from what I've seen, Jeff, I, I want to hear your take on this, too. You know, it looks like holiday sales stand a good chance of being up uh, year over year, but they may not be up much uh, based on all the sort of, uh, you know, historically effective indicators of holiday shopping. What do you think? <clears throat> well, you know, with with a lot of the leisure travel uh, that still seems to be pretty strong, uh, by the way, uh, Thanksgiving travel is expected to be pretty strong. And that's certainly, uh, you know, correlates with overall holiday spending. And we could see, you know, kind of a 3% year on year growth in uh, in holiday sales. Of course, you know, uh, the the early online shopping uh, prime days, uh, for example, uh, earlier uh, in the year suggested that you know consumers are are still very interested in purchasing goods. It's not just a shift towards services. Remember, we've talked about this over uh, several um, podcasts and things. You know, we saw we saw an overall shift to services away from goods maybe coming out into 2022. Uh, but it's amazing how strong the consumer has been, uh, both goods and services. And so at this point. Um, you know, like I said, this is going to be a key week for understanding October, how things are going to flow into uh, the rest of this fourth quarter. But so far, um, you know, the cracks are emerging, as we said earlier in the podcast, but it hasn't really hampered uh, spending quite yet. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, um, you know, if we do get a 3% increase in holiday sales, you, you know, that's flat volumes, right? Essentially, that's all pricing. So, um, you know, it'd be fine, but it wouldn't be great um, if you put it in that context. People aren't going to be getting more stuff. They're just going to be paying a little more uh, for it. Historically, I do know that the stock market performance tends to correlate with holiday shopping. I also know that back to school shopping, which was fine, tends to correlate with holiday sales. So, um, you know, should be it should be a decent season, but um, we're not going to, you know, blow the doors off, I'll say. I guess it depends on what the hot pro products are, right? What's going to cause people to line up? I don't know. Um, I don't know what those products are, but um, we'll we'll have to wait and see um, once we get closer to, um, you know, to, to Hanukkah and Christmas. So um, the other thing going on this week is... Uh, President Biden and President Xi are meeting at this global uh, economic summit in, in, in San Francisco. You know, I don't know what's going to come out of that that's going to be tangible, but I think we'll continue to hear the narrative around thawing relations. And, um, you know, if that leads to some real economic benefit, great. You know, the market will respond accordingly. You know, maybe prospects for Boeing, for example, to sell planes uh, to China. Um more agricultural product purchases. I think, Jeff, you might have written about that. Um, so, you know, there's the relationship is thawing, it seems, uh, based on the headlines. And I guess, you know, I know a lot of people have different views of, of China and how that relationship should go. But based on just economics and based on the market, uh, we would like that that thawing narrative to continue. And any thoughts on, on that meeting, Jeff? Well, I, you know, I think it's going to be uh, key for the city of San Francisco. <clears throat> so maybe not a global impact per se. It's going to be more opportunities for some, you know, photos, right? It's the photo op kind of meeting. 
but I think when you think about, you know, a, a city that has been particularly hit with uh, the the ramifications of hybrid work, right? People can leave uh, the city, go somewhere else, lower cost of living area, <clears throat> certainly have uh, challenges in commercial real estate. I think this is going to be a, either a really good opportunity or it could be you know the other way around. So I'm going to be looking, uh, especially with how the city manages the summit. Uh, I think it has uh, you know a lot to do with you know how how we can you know see see if the city can rebuild itself after a very very difficult period of time. So it's it's more of a regional impact in my mind. Interesting take. Uh, well, we'll be watching the regional implications and global. So um, that's a lot for this week. Uh, it'll be another busy one. And, uh, you know, hopefully yields cooperate and, and stocks can keep going higher. So uh, with that, we'll wrap. Uh, so thanks, Jeff, for joining me this week. Um, thank you all for listening to another LPL Market Signals podcast. Uh, we'll be back with you next week for another edition. See you then. Take care, everybody. Have a great week. This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker-dealer or investment advisor. These products services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency, not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposit or obligations, and may lose value.